Yeah, so, so great to be with, uh, with your church uh, this morning. Uh, I have, as the title suggests, um, I, I want to talk about the concept of change in our lives from a Christian perspective this morning, particularly the, that vexing question that maybe um, you struggle with is whether change is even possible in your life, and uh, I'll explain in a moment. Uh, why I chose that as our theme this morning. But uh, my passage is Matthew 26, uh, 36 through 46. I'm hoping we have that because I don't have it written. There we go. Okay, so let me read this for us and then uh, then we'll pray. Then Jesus went went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And this line right here is going to be kind of key to my sermon. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came back and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep. And take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, which speaks to us in uh, unique, spiritual, uh, spirit-empowered ways. Uh, We believe... uh, by faith that you have ordained that when we gather together like this as a community and corporate worship on your day that you do speak uniquely to us words of encouragement and conviction, comfort, Lord, and um, inspiration to uh, respond to your kindness with our repentance, Lord, You have everyone here this morning for a reason. You know them. You know uh, their struggles. You love them. And you are calling them, Lord, to embrace the change that is theirs in Christ Jesus. And so I pray that your purposes will be accomplished this morning. I pray we would all be different uh, because we got up on a uh, cold, wintry morning and still came to church. I pray we would be different because we came to church this morning. Uh, So bless me as I deliver your word. May it be faithful and forgive me where I fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, um, I do want to talk about the whole concept of change from a Christian perspective this morning. Um, In the rhythm of our, our whole culture, society's calendar, this is the time of the year when change is on everyone's uh, mind a new year, uh, maybe maybe New Year resolutions for many of you. 
uh, and you're coming at it with this year, I mean it, this year is going to be different from uh, the seemingly insignificant uh, goals of maybe uh, losing a few pounds all the way to the deeply serious ones like uh, this, this is the year of freedom from my addiction. Um, this, this is the moment when we once again give change a try. Now, if you have made those uh, resolutions, statistically speaking, you have about one week left before you give up. Uh, typically, they, they would, literally, they've done research and New Year's resolution on average last three weeks. So you get one more week of inspiration that I'm going to try to capitalize on here for. Um, but for the Christian, for the Christian, uh, our resolutions for change and our failure to see the change we long to see is not just a matter of self-improvement or lack thereof. For the Christian, it's, it's far more significant. Change is not merely an issue of self-improvement and self-betterment. Uh, we follow a Lord who expects, indeed demands, that we actually change. We are a changing people. We call it uh, we call it sanctification. That's the Christian fancy word for change in our lives. The journey of, of Christian salvation where we are being changed after the likeness of Jesus Christ. And I just maybe state the obvious, but maybe it needs to be stated. You do know that's not optional to the Christian faith, right? Uh, as has often been said by many, Christianity is a faith where it is okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Simultaneously, we are fully accepted as we are, where we are, by our loving God, but fully expected not to stay where we are. And in my experience, uh, Christian communities tend to overemphasize one at the exclusion of the other. You have the it's okay not to be okay churches, who perhaps may forget the truth that it's not okay to stay that way. And then you have the it's not okay to stay that way churches who perhaps forget that it's actually okay to not be okay. And so my question uh, for your church this morning is, uh, in this community, which, which of those do you feel like you tend toward? I think I'm qualified uh, in some ways to answer that question. And I was involved in planting this church. I'm friends with many of the leadership of this church. And this church is a part of a Christian tradition that I love, I call home. Uh, and my favorite thing about our tradition is our emphasis on the immeasurable grace of God. It creates lovely communities where it's okay not to be okay. Lovely Communities like this one where it is safe to be a messy sinner as we all are. And I say amen. Never, ever compromise on God's grace. Never, whether in the words that you say or in the unspoken culture that you create, never compromise the gospel that says it is okay not to be okay. No pressure here at this church for religious performance. Grace upon grace. Amen. But God's kindness does lead to repentance, right? And I think we in particular, I am including myself in this, I think we in particular need to remember that. Uh, Marshall asked me 
to uh, come and teach a, uh, there's like a four-week Bible study on sanctification. I did with Jenna, actually. Uh, A a Bible study on sanctification here at the church. Um, Not many of you were there. Uh, Thanks for that. But... But this apparently not compelling Bible study that I led, I opened uh, with an illustration about how uh, we, particularly our tradition, tend to neglect this concept of Christian change in our life. I I opened that uh, teaching series with an illustration that seemed to resonate. I heard from several that resonated with them. So let me share it here with you to show you what I think, what I mean when I am talking about the dilemma Um, at a church like this. So our kids have chores that they're expected to do every night. The most uh, dreaded of these are the dishes. Um, Well, suppose I say, boys, I have have four boys. I say, boys, do the dishes. Mom and I are going to go out uh, into the other room, and we're going to visit a while, catch up on our day, have a nice, pleasant uh, conversation, peaceful chat about our day. It never works this way, but this is an illustration. And I come back, in and the dishes have not been done. And I say to the boys, why didn't you do the dishes? Okay, our tradition. Well, we've given a lot of thought to your command to do the dishes. In fact, we've looked at it from every angle to discover the deepest possible meaning of do the dishes. In fact, we've invited some friends over for a do the dishes study where we discussed how profound your command to do the dishes is. We've confessed to each other our failure to do the dishes. We have prayed about doing the dishes. Dad, we know everything there is to know about doing the dishes. We can tell you what do the dishes is in the Hebrew and the Greek. I would rightly say, boys, what are you talking about? Just do the dishes. Well, Dad... We know you want us to do the dishes, but the good news, the gospel, if you will, Dad, the good news is that we are not accepted within this family because we do the dishes. So secure are we in your love as our status, as your children, that we know that even if we don't do the dishes, you're still going to love us. We didn't get into this family by doing the dishes. We are not going to get kicked out of this family for our failures not to do the dishes. So we just want to say thank you, Father. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. Thank you for forgiving us for our failure to do the dishes. Now you only laugh because it's true. There is another option. You could do the dishes. What metaphorical dishes is God calling you to this year? What are those things in your life? Yes, God forgives absolutely he forgives. He's not mad at you. He's not going to get rid of you. All is well. You are loved. And God is calling you to obey him. What does that change for you? Bring it to mind. Bring it to mind that which you know God is calling you to change. And we're going to explore how that is possible this morning, not with New Year's resolutions, but with the very gospel that has forgiven you. The same gospel that forgives you, the same gospel that says it's okay not to be okay, that same gospel is here to change you this morning. Let's turn to our text and I'll show you what I mean. 
Uh, just, just two things for us this morning. We're going we're to look at the weakness of the flesh and then the power of the gospel. But let's start by exploring what is true for all of us, the weakness of the flesh. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest and crucifixion, and he needs to spend some time in prayer. He's overwhelmed and needs to pray. He takes his inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John, tells them that he is uh, overwhelmed with sorrow and asks them to uh, sit and keep watch while he goes off to pray. Comes back, his closest friends and disciples in his deepest hour of fear are asleep. He wakes them up and says these words that I believe perfectly articulate the struggle of every single follower of Jesus. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that not you? It certainly is me. We genuinely want to do what God wants us to do. But there is this inescapable weakness that seems to always hijack these sincere desires. That's what is happening in our text. These guys aren't just flippantly disobeying Jesus. They want to do what he asks, so why don't they? It's really simple. Verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Don't you love how the text doesn't over-spiritualize things there? Why didn't they obey? Because they're tired. Their eyes are heavy. That's it. Willing spirit, tired eyes. And their sleepiness is more powerful than their willingness. Can you relate to that? I'm not talking about the fatigue, though for many of us, that, that, that really is a big part of this. But I'm talking more about the paradigm as a whole. Can you relate to this struggle? If you're like me, then you have been here a thousand times before. This little um, interaction, I think, exemplifies our day in, day out battles from uh, getting up 30 minutes early to read your Bible all the way to resisting the most profound temptations in your life. On a most basic level in our text, Jesus is asking them to do something and they genuinely want to do it, but the weakness of the flesh hijacks their very genuine desires. This is the essence of the Christian struggle. And this is something we all know so well. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you, it really is time to seek after me with your whole heart, whether it be uh, prayer, his, his word, Christian fellowship, these, these small groups, church membership, these, these disciplines that God has given us that we may seek him and find him. And if you're a Christian, you want to do them. I know you do. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Distractions from work, want to sleep in, the allure of social media, Countless reasons we want to practice the spiritual disciplines, but it's hard to practice the spiritual disciplines. And so often, like the disciples giving in to their heavy eyes, we give in to the weakness of our flesh. Or perhaps Jesus is uh, saying to you, it is time for you to get control over your appetites. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We are a people who are in control of our bodies. And perhaps God is saying for too long you've been mastered by your appetites, eating whatever you want, drinking whatever you want, viewing whatever you want, purchasing whatever you want. And Jesus says it's time for you to tell your appetites no. And you want to. 
You want to tell yourself no. You want to practice self-control. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. I'm hungry, not just physical hungry. I'm a deeper hunger. This is my comfort. This is my escape. This is my pleasure in an otherwise boring life that I live. So there we are, like the disciples with their heavy eyes, and often we give way to the flesh. And on and I could go with this uh, paradigm this morning. To me, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak is a profound commentary on the life of every single believer this side of glory. And perhaps January 1st stirs up the hope of change. But experience has proven that January 1 resolutions are not more powerful than the weakness of the flesh. So, is that it? Is change in our lives impossible? The weakness of the flesh will just always be willing, be be stronger than the willingness of the spirit just going to have to uh, live as failures until glory. Absolutely not. We can change. You can change. We can actually be different, but not in your own strength. Your resolve is not stronger than the weakness of your flesh, but Jesus Christ is stronger than the weakness of your flesh. And that's where I want to spend the majority of the time. So we've explored the weakness of the flesh. We get it. Willing spirits, weak flesh. All right, let's turn to the power of the gospel. What you need to know about the gospel is that it is not just the power to save, it is the power to change. Not just salvation, but sanctification, transformation. Now, I think we understand how the gospel saves us, but we are deficient in understanding how the gospel actually changes us. Well, in our passage, you have the disciples as weak and faithless, not even able to keep their eyes open for Jesus, who are then transformed into bold and courageous, willing to die for Jesus. What happened in between? Well, two monumental acts took place that changed everything in their lives and can change everything in our lives. What is going on in our context? What has Jesus so overwhelmed? It ends with, rise, my betrayer is at hand. He's about to die, and then he will rise. And it is his death and his resurrection that unlocks the power of true transformation in our lives because his death and resurrection each eliminate the two biggest obstacles that we face when it comes to change. Let me tell you what they are and then show you how Jesus defeats each of them. Our two biggest enemies when it comes to change in our lives are guilt and doubt. Guilt over our inability to change, which is paralyzing, and doubt that we will never be able to change, which is paralyzing. To our guilt, I'm here this morning to proclaim Christ crucified. To our doubt, I'm here this morning to proclaim to you Christ risen from the dead. Let me show you what I mean. First, why did Jesus die? He died to forgive us. And I do mean uh, forgive us. All sins, past, present, future, are forgiven and forgotten. There is literally not an ounce of guilt and condemnation left for you. Do you know what that means? It's never too late. Endless second chances. Or as the scriptures proclaim, new mercies every single 
morning. And that is so important in our desire for change. What is it about January 1st that makes it the day of resolutions? Why not July 13th? What's so special about January 1st? It has this feeling of newness, right? People feel like they can start over, clean slate, blew it that year, but a new year's upon us no matter what I've done before. Today feels like the day I can start over. And that is huge when it comes to change in our lives. We get caught in this downward spiral of shame over our failures uh, to the point where it becomes um, utterly insurmountable and hopeless. What's the use to even try? And so we just give up to our weakness, which compounds the guilt and the burden gets even heavier. But if there was some way, if there was just some way to get a mulligan, to get to just start over and hit reset and give it another try, that feels more doable, doesn't it? And so January 1st gives our culture this faux sense of being able to hit reset. Well, do you know what the cross says to us? Every day, in a very real sense, you wake up with a clean slate. Every day you wake up with a fresh start. Every day you get a do-over. We get so paralyzed by years of failure and we feel so guilty and overwhelmed. We say, I'm just a mess. I'm such a mess. Where do I even start? The cross says to you, how about today? And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, because His mercy is going to be new every single one of those days. Okay, you've blown it. So have I. But the death of Jesus is a fountain of endless newness. Why not today? So the obstacle of guilt is overcome by the cross. The second obstacle to change is doubt. Doubt that we will never, ever be able to change. And that doubt is defeated by the resurrection. If I were to ask you, what is the central application of 1 Corinthians 15? What would be, or do you remember 1 Corinthians 15? It, it's uh, Paul's famous words. Uh, we just did the catechism on, on the resurrection. And a lot of what we believe about the resurrection comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where essentially Paul says, listen, Jesus is raised from the dead And someday all who trust in Jesus will be raised as well. It is the promise of our future and eternal resurrection and change and glorious eternal estate. So that's the promise that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15. What would you suppose would be the application of 1 Corinthians 15? We would expect a future application. Take heart, the day is coming. Set your eyes upon future glory of resurrection when you shall be changed. But that is not how he ends the chapter. Let me read for you the last verse. So he just makes his famous boast that you've heard before. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, here is his application. Therefore, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's interesting. Apparently, Paul believes the promise of future resurrection change is meant to bring about present change in our lives. What we shall be is intended to affect 
what we now are trying to be. And that future promise of change, rightly understood, will do exactly that. Because what it does is shatter our doubts that change is even possible for us. Have you noticed that these workout and dieting plans always market themselves with before and after pics? What's going on there? What are they doing? Well, they're, they're smart. They're smart. They know what they have to overcome for you to buy their project and what they have product and what they have to overcome is your cynicism. They are stirring hope of transformation. They know you are in cynical that you could ever look different. So they show you a guy who once had the dad bod like you, but now has abs trying to overcome your disbelief. They are providing imagination and hope of transformation. Don't listen to your doubts. Don't listen to your cynicism that says our workout plan will never work for you. Instead, look at these pictures. Change is possible. Your labor will not be in vain. And there's a lot of power there because deep down we truly doubt that change is possible in our lives. This is just who I am. My uh, pathology is inescapable. My habits are unbreakable. My failure is unavoidable. So what is the point in even trying to be different? Well, the resurrection of Jesus is intended to awaken you from that cynical slumber and disparaging lie. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us our after picture. Paul literally says, you shall be changed and you shall be raised incorruptible. This will be you. Therefore, contrary to the cynicism of your flesh, your labor is not in vain. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a motivational tool toward change. It guarantees our change. God did it to Jesus and God has promised to do it to us. Now, let that future glory free you from the entrapment of defeatism. You are no longer allowed to say, I just can't imagine life not in bondage to this weakness. The resurrection doesn't just ask you to imagine that life, it guarantees that life. You will be free. You will be glorified. You will be changed. You will be perfected. Therefore, any thought that you can't be moving toward that now that you can't begin to experience what you will be now, that you can't change for the better now, any thought like that has to be a lie. I can't change is categorically untrue because, quote the Apostle Paul, you shall be changed. Now, give yourself to the change that you are one day guaranteed to have. Okay. Let's apply this as specifically as possible. So in our passage, Jesus asks his disciples to stay awake and watch, but they didn't because they were too tired. Again, like I began the sermon, I ask you, what is God asking of you? But for whatever reason, you aren't doing it. Maybe just one thing that you know, God's spirit is faithful. One thing where your spirit truly is willing, you want it but your flesh is just too weak. All right, you have that? Now, I'm not going to ask you to write that down as a resolution for 2024 only to go to the graveyard of past resolutions. Instead, I'm going to ask you to submit that to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, the cross. 
I don't care how many times you have failed in that area. Perhaps you can't even count. It doesn't matter. God remembers your sins no more. You get a redo today and every single day for the rest of your life. Your guilt says that you've already caused such a mess, so what's the use in trying? The cross says you have no mess. Why not try again today? No matter what you have done and how much you have done, right now in this moment, you have a totally clean slate with God and you get to start over. Let his cross remove all your guilt over that struggle. Now the resurrection. I don't care if you can't envision a life free from that struggle. I don't care if you have longed for change for years and you just haven't seen it. You will see it. With 100% certainty, you will have the change you so desire. Therefore, your labors now to see that change come to be, your labors cannot be in vain. In fact, they are guaranteed effectual. Your doubt says, I'll never be different. So what's the use in trying? The resurrection says, you shall be different. So what's the use in not trying? Let his resurrection remove all doubt over that struggle. Take your struggle, that area where the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and don't give it to resolutions based upon your own strength and willpower. Give it to Jesus. To his cross that removes all guilt, to his resurrection that removes all doubt, you can change because Jesus can change you. Let me pray. Lord, send us forward in that hope. Send us forward more motivated than ever to obey you. Your spirit is faithful. You have everyone here for a reason. You are pressing in with conviction upon our lives. Lord, may we respond rightly. May we give our struggles to the cross that says every single day is a day with new mercies. May we give our struggles to the resurrection that guarantees we shall have change, we shall have victory. So why not start working toward that now? Thank you, Jesus. Though we cannot change ourselves, you can change us. You have done everything required, including sending your spirit. You have done everything required to change us. And so I boldly pray for my friends here this morning. Jesus, would you change them? By the power of your cross and resurrection, would you change them? We pray in your name. Amen.